podcast one production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. And in Health Hacker, we break down a health topic for you in each episode. But this is different. This is a health hacker interview where we find out from inspiring people how they've hacked their lives and pass this knowledge on to you. And we call it Hacking the Hackers. We find out what they've learned, why they've learned it and how to apply it. So if you have a suggestion for someone you'd like us to hack for you, ask Adam directly by emailing healthhacker at themanshake.com.au or leave a comment on his Manshake socials. So in this episode, we're going to speak to Wayne Pierce, who's a former NRL coach, an old coach of yours, Adam, a player and now an executive coach. He joins us to talk about the importance of mindset. Now, Adam, we've spoken a lot about the mind and how it functions, but not about changing mindset. So we're going to find out what mindset is and how to tap into it and enhance it. Yeah, I'm very blessed. Obviously, uh, Wayne was a coach of mine uh, back in State of Origin days and had a huge impact on me, somebody that was ahead of his time in rugby league and uh, a real idol of mine and and somebody that I'm excited today to, to share his great wisdom with so many people out there that want to be better than what they are today. Wayne, thank you for coming on. Do you want to start off by telling us what mindset is? Mindset is is a disposition that we have towards uh, the world and the way that we see the world and categorize the world in a particular way. Some pe- And generally some people, uh, well, it's it's described as either you're the one extreme, there's the, the people who uh, see the world as, as doomy and gloomy and and uh, I don't really fit and, I, and uh, I'm, I'm limited in terms of my my capabilities, that's that sort of fixed mindset space. And then the other end of the, expe- the spectrum is that that sort of defined as growth mindset where people uh, believe in themselves, their potential, uh, believe in the opportunities in the world, and that leads to a different behavioral set of behavioral patterns that lead to either success or not success. And where do you think mindset develops from? Uh, do you think it comes from our thoughts that we have on a daily basis, the stories we tell ourselves? How do people get their mindset? Well, I, I think you've got to go back to the origins of your childhood to sort of look at where where did you first learn about how you were to operate and function in the world. We, we obviously acquire certain dispositions and certain habits and they're embedded in it via our DNA and the way we, we do things as human beings. But I, I talk about the, 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 uh, the bucket land that we grow up in. So we all grow up in this big bucket, right? And this bucket is... Maybe for some people it's not so big, uh, but this bucket defines how we see the world because that's our immediate environment. It's the interactions we have with the, our parents, the, the schools, the, the local community. Uh, and from that experience, set of experiences, we actually perceive a sense of identity and we go on to then transpose those beliefs to how we function uh, and, how, and our place in the world. So... The origins of mindset, I think, go way back to childhood, but they're constantly evolving in response to events that happen in our lives. Uh, For example, some people see setbacks as them not being capable. Others see setbacks as learning opportunities and basically just part of the growth process. So that sort of is the difference between being at one end of the spectrum and being at sort of the other end of the spectrum. And how did you first appreciate the power of the mind? Well, when I was a, a young kid, when I say young kid, in my teen, teenage years, um, aspiring footballer, uh, I didn't really have a physical advantage because my stature was one that uh, was a lot smaller than other players and I played a pretty physical game. And, and for me, it was really how could, I, how could I get an edge on the other people? 
Uh, and in fact, the catalyst, the real catalyst, was I played a game. Uh, it was a semi-final game in the in the my local footy club in the juniors, and we lost. And the coach was furious. He was going around giving the players a spray. And he came around to me and he said, Percy, mate, I like you, but you're nothing but a lemon. You're, you're absolutely – and I thought, jeez, lemon, hey? And then I pondered on that and, you know, a few days later it just sat in my mind, lemon, I'm a lemon. And I thought, well, nothing I can do. If I'm a lemon, best I can do is see how much juice I can squeeze out of that lemon. <laughs> that was really the origins of, of – um, I, I, I realised that if I, if I wanted to pursue my dream and that was to play – uh, rugby league at the top level, um, then I needed to find ways to be better prepared than others. And initially that, that started off in the physical preparation. And then after I went to university and studied a fair bit of psychology at university, it moved into the into the mind and and uh, that then held me in good stead going forward. Do you reckon that bloke did you a favour by being negative that made you have to become positive? Or if he was too encouraging, you might have gone, oh, I don't need to overcome adversity to get to where you are. Yeah, we, well, that's true. I think so. I, th- I think um, it's just it's the way we interpret situations. Um, um, for me, I'm being fortunate that in, throughout my as far back as I can remember, uh, when I was a young kid, I've always been curious, and I think curiosity is is a, a really good quality to have as a human being because there's so much that we don't know about this game of life that we play. We're all playing this game, okay, and it's called life, and it's a high stakes game. If you don't understand the rules of this game of life, what happens is you're not going to do very good at this game. And a lot of people don't understand the rules. And they're not these rules you don't learn at school and you don't learn a lot of these rules um, through your family upbringing, okay? It, it's really – and one at the core of these rules, I think, is the, is the concept of cause and effect. Um, a lot of people are in denial around cause and effect. And I'm not talking about uh, – um, climate change, for example. I'm talking about everyday actions. And when you talk about health, it's really about what's the consequence of me eating this particular food? You know, is it is it high in sugar? Is it, uh, what does it contain? And what's the consequence of that? Now, for me, that was at the core of what allowed me to be uh, successful because I was really disciplined around that. But to be disciplined brings you back to a deeper sense of, what it is that drives you, and and I think purpose and being purposeful about your your life is really the is really the critical thing that underpins all this sort of stuff. Because most people now know via your podcast or via the internet or via literature that's around, they know what they should be eating. So why aren't they eating what they're what they're eating? Is it is it is it? There's probably a number of reasons. One of which is some of the foods are very addictive. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, and habit, but. But if you have a purpose and at the deeper level that purpose um, allows you to, to tap into passion, then I think people can do anything. So people will be listening to this. It's the new year. Um, 92% of people will set a new year's resolution. Most of them, over 90% will lose weight and be healthier. They all fail by February. 8% of people only succeed with the new year's resolution. Amazing stats. If you're a person out there and you're wanting to be happier and healthier this year, how would you go about it? Well, if, if you want to be happier and you want to be healthier, I, I think you really need to understand how the brain works, how the body works, okay? We're all, we all, we respond to feelings uh, largely as human beings. So, and there's there's four key happiness neurotransmitters, okay? So these are the chemicals that that we need to have flowing through our bodies to, to have us feel really great, yeah? Um, and the first one's dopamine, yeah? So dopamine is... Uh, 
a chemical that that sort of uh, is is activated by a sense of anticipation and a sense of achievement. Yeah. So um, it's 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 the it's the same feeling that people when they take cocaine um, experience because that's what cocaine does. It it sort of stimulates the the um, the dopamine and, and and it inhibits its reuptake, so it stays in the system for longer. But we can get that natural feeling by setting goals and and making sure that we're we have a plan, but we're actually working to achieve goals. I'm not talking about a long term goal, just a long term goal. I'm talking about the intermediate steps to get there as well. So if somebody is um, makes a, long, a, a New Year's resolution and they have this big long term goal, that's not how you're going to get the dopamine stimulated, right? You need to actually have some intermediate goals to get there. So you can you can tick off the the to do list and and checklist that I've ticked these boxes because that's then when we feel like we're making progress and that's when we actually get more encouraged and and we feel better about ourselves in that space. So. The, um, you know, the dopamine is really, really um, um, important. And that concept, when people understand that concept and they break the goal back into the end goal, into some process goals, some intermediate goals, then and, and make sure that they acknowledge the progress, that makes a huge, huge difference. So give them a small win. So you've got to get up in Absolutely. the morning, have a small win. That gives you momentum. And then, and then from there, we look to... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's in, in the workplace, it's the same sort of thing where... Where you, where some businesses will have we've have daily meetings or in in construction they call it toolbox meetings yeah and the toolbox meetings have a number of per- benefits but one of them if if they include as part of their agenda on those um, the progress that we've made over the last twenty four hours where we need to tweak it because we're a little bit behind you and that's actually where you're starting to stimulate this sense of of growth and that sense of growth is is something that's a real motivator for. Right. Human, That's a really good beings. metaphor because they're quite physically, they're quite literally of building a house, let's say, and yeah. the house could be a metaphor for a goal and the yeah. toolbox meeting every day is to go, well, we've done the slab, today yeah. we're doing form work and then each day they're seeing it progress and each one of those days is a win towards that eventual goal being the built house. Is that what you're, you're getting absolutely at? absolutely spot on. And that gets magnified when you, um, when you add in the peer support as well. So you've got people around you who are encouraging you because we're all going to have ups and downs, you know. There's one thing that's for certain in this life that we're in is we're going to have setbacks. And when you have a setback, because the world's changing so quickly, you know, we're in a, a world that's full of novelty, uncertainty and complexity, yeah. Um, so that that throws to, to us um, an incredible set of challenges and we're going to have setbacks. But when we have a setback, there's two choices you've got. You either get up or you, you give up. And that's... So at times it can be teetering on the, the giving up, but if you've got support around you, it makes really, really a huge difference. Well, I feel like to stretch that metaphor even further if I can is to build a house, you need that community around you, but also you can't build it yourself by yourself. That's why you need a plumber, an electrician, a carpenter, you know, a, an engineer. I feel like these are all the people around you you need in your life to help you create your own house, whatever that is. Is that... Yeah, no, it's... That's exactly the case. And, and in fact, what you're talking about there is you're talking about a team. Yeah. So a really good team, and, and Dukes, you've played in good teams, you've played in some ordinary teams, right? In a really good team. <laughs> more, oh, good teams more good teams yeah, than yeah. ordinary teams. And, and, I've right, been the, <laughs> and I've been the same, right? Yeah. But the great, the great teams have, have got complementary skill sets and people that are all passionate about the outcome, yeah? And in the teams that are not so good, either you haven't got everybody passionate about the outcome or the complementary skills aren't there. You don't, 
to use your your uh, metaphor there, you, you have, mightn't have an electrician, you mightn't have a plumber. Mm. Um, so therefore the house, you can't really finish the house and or it's going to be finished but it's not going to be as good as it could possibly be. To tie it back in, you started off with building a house is great but without the purpose, why are you building it? So yeah. what are your tips to finding purpose? Well, we should talk, talk about what are the impediments first. And, and, and one of the main impediments to people finding purpose is, is that they, they uh, struggle to accept reality. And the reality is that we are all bundles of untapped potential. No, no human being, none, no one, none of us in this room, I believe no human being really has any, got anywhere near their, their absolute potential because there is so much we can achieve as human beings that uh, as individual human beings that either we don't have the time to get there because we've invested in this other area and we excelled in that area or whatever, whatever. Um, so one of the challenges is people don't, don't um, and this is largely due to the belief systems that people acquire, um, which are very much fixed in that space, that I've only, only got a finite capacity and I don't want to go there. Um, that's, that's a huge challenge. Um, because that prevents then people from exploring what their true strengths are. So what what are your strengths? You know, what what are your strengths? What are you good at? Um, and and if you're good at something, that's not good enough. You've got to actually, what do you love to do? What, what do you what do you really enjoy doing? Um, and forget about the fact that you you've got constraints because you've got this constraint or that constraint. Like, what do you love doing? And then when people um, people understand those two, where those two areas overlap, the big challenge for them then is to, how can I change what I'm doing? Uh, because it requires people to move from beyond their thought process of where they're at to where they need to get to. And, and I mean, that's why I think most people talk about midlife crisis. Midlife crisis is not a crisis. It's, they say, oh, midlife crisis. Yeah, at 40 years of age, a midlife yeah. crisis. Guess what? I had a a, a midlife change at 40. It wasn't a crisis. It was a realisation that I was in a, in a space which was coaching yep. that that I was, I'd was i been doing for seven years, professional mm. sports coaching, rugby league, um, and I got to the point where I was going through the motions and I, and I was no longer stimulated by that. And for me, that was a big, big challenge for me to say, well, hang on a sec, what's the next thing? And it wasn't – it was part-time media I was doing uh, as well, but uh, and, and I had some opportunity to go into that full time, but I didn't want to do that because it wasn't for me deeply fulfilling. And purpose can change, right? Absolutely, it does change. You know, it, it's it, you, you look at, for example, um, a lot of um, women that will, will be will be career women, and they'll have a child, and that and they, their focus shifts and their sense of purpose shifts there. Yep. Okay, and then it may shift again when, uh, back to to the career a bit later on. But you're exactly right; purpose does shift. But do we do temperature checks regularly as to am I deeply enjoying what I'm what I'm doing? And enjoyment and fulfilment is not just about purpose. Also, it's about trust. I believe um, fulfilment and joy is a simple equation: the level of purpose that you have times the level of trust you have in yourself and in the environment you're operating in. So expand on that trust. Trust. So so trust is really. It, it's it's linked to the sense of safety that we have. Okay, so as human beings, we want we we have a, a an inbuilt uh, desire to to feel safe. Yeah, that's natural, right? If, you, if, if I'm I don't feel safe with you in in our conversation here, I'm going to shut down, not share stuff with you. Uh, but if I feel safe because I can trust you guys to to actually ask questions that aren't are, are going to be along the lines that we talked about, then that's cool. So so trust is is this deep seated. Um, it, it's the 
um, reflection of how much how safe I feel. So in in terms of the environment that I'm in, if I don't feel safe with you and I don't trust you, then what happens is I'm I'm going to be closing up. I'm not going to be enjoying this experience, and therefore uh, I'm not going to be as productive as I could be. And for me, that's the biggest catalyst for change. People don't trust that they can make the change and they don't trust the fact that that environment is something they're going to be comfortable in. People always move towards what they're comfortable with and what they're familiar with. That's why we continually repeat the same bad habits because we trust that environment. It's comfortable. People don't like change. So so we've gotten to the point now where if people want to make change, you realize you've got to have goals, which are very important. You've got to find your sense of purpose. You've got to surround yourself with the right people to help elevate you towards that goal and support you, what what comes, and then trust that you can do it. Yeah, and which, which comes, which, and you're exactly right. And, and, and this trust piece, trusting yourself, talks to the existential question of am I capable? Yeah. Um, and that is something that a lot of people really struggle with because, <clears throat> excuse me, in the bucket land that they were raised in, um, they develop this um, sense of um, there's something lacking. Yeah, I can't do this. And what we're fighting here is we're fighting evolution, right? Because at the, non, at, the, at the deeper level, the non-conscious brain really is designed to keep us safe. So it doesn't want us to take too many risks because back in the old days, uh, if we took too many risks, we'd get snavelled up by a tiger or, or, or uh, some ferocious beast or whatever. But that's what we're fighting. So we actually need to uh, put processes in place to actually work beyond that to start to tell our non-conscious brain and reprogram our non-conscious brain around what it is that's important, what we're working towards, and that we're capable of getting there. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Can you tell people the power of the unconscious mind? Because that's something that's not spoken about much. We have 70,000 thoughts a day on average. 95% of them thoughts are the same thoughts we had the day before. And amazingly, 85% of them thoughts are actually negative. So yep. can you talk to people about how important, firstly, words are, the conversations they have with themselves, and, and then, you know, our subconscious mind, how it really dictates our conscious thoughts as well? Well, you're exactly right about the non-conscious brain, so or the subconscious brain. The, 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 there's, there's an argument amongst researchers as to how much activity is going on in the non-conscious brain, but bear in mind that all our senses, our five senses – and um, the billions of, of uh, re- sorry, millions of receptors in our body are all channeling into the non-conscious brain. Now, so our non-conscious brain can, can and there's an argument here as to, to how much it can handle, but anywhere between 10 million and 20 million um, bits of information per second. The conscious brain can handle 40 bits of information per second, yeah. right? Uh? So... So there's this massive amount of information coming into the non-conscious brain and then it's, it gets overloaded. This parking lot gets pretty get full pretty quickly, <laughs> right? Yeah. So what do I do with the excess cars? Anyhow, so what happens is um, there's an a mecha- in, incredible mechanism called the reticular activating system, which is a bundle of neurons uh, at the base of the, of, of the um, brain, top of the spinal cord, which processes this information, spams it all down like a filter. It's like a it's like a bouncer at the at the nightclub, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's all these people queued up to come in. Who's going to come in? Yeah, and and um, nice what, shoes come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the 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 uh, reticulating activating system it, it, uh, filters this information based around our belief systems uh, and our values and what it feels that is our priority. Now this is where goal setting comes in really important, yeah, and setting intentions comes in really important because. What we, we, we're doing when we, we set goals and when we set intentions is we actually, we're programming 
the reticular activating system is saying, this is the stuff I want you to let through. Yeah. And so I don't know whether you've ever ever gone to buy a, a new car. I went to buy a car, not buy a car, to have a look at a car for my eldest daughter. This is going back quite a, probably 10 years ago now. It was when the Yaris first came out. And I hadn't seen one of these, right? So she, she rings me up. She says, Dad, Dad, seen this, cool, seen this cool car. Can you come up with me and go and have a look at it? So I got in the car with her and driven up. It was 15 minutes to the car yard and had a look. And it was a pretty cool looking car. I'd never seen one before, right? Get in the car driving home. Guess what? I saw three of them on the journey home, <laughs> on the road. And that's that's an example of this reticular activating system. So so my point is that... Oh, the goal- hey, so hang on, because you're saying the brain didn't acknowledge that before because it wasn't really aware of it. And now you're know, aware of what a Yaris is. You're seeing Yaris's everywhere. 100%. So what happens is, yeah, so there, there's opportunities around us in this world that we live in that we ca- cannot uh, acknowledge or see because of a lot of the time because we actually don't have it on our radar, yeah? So if you set a goal, whatever that goal may be, then opportunities will be coincidences. That will, yeah. and, and, and you'll yeah, think, but, oh, isn't that weird? It's but, a coincidence, but right? No, well, it wasn't. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. And then this is this is not something airy-fairy. This is actually fully um, researched and this reticular activating system absolutely functions in this way. And this is why goal setting and internalising and visualising your goals uh, and having a plan to support that is really, really important because you will see uh, stuff come to the fore that you you and, and opportunities will present that you never even thought would 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 present. Because as you can guess, I love a metaphor. So it's like as you change or shift your goal, the bouncer on the door is changing and picking different people. Correct. Absolutely. Managing yeah. the dress code. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's wild, it's, and you think it's you think well, oh it's a coincidence, but it's not. It's not. So I'll give you an example for, for me, and this is a really clear example for me. When I was uh, playing footy, I back in sorry when I was coaching footy, uh, I thought I'd take up the guitar and just learn the guitar, right? And then I, I was really enjoying the learning the guitar, so I, I actually set this set this goal, had an intention that I want to get a band one day, right? And uh, and that was that just sat there, and I had no idea how this would happen. Within 12 months, I was approached by a, a guy to um, basically put together a band to celebrate um, a, a night where Mitchell, my son, was made the grand finals in the under-12s for North Ride Hawks and and, uh, and, and they wanted to do a special night. So we, we actually had a, quite a few rehearsals to get together, you know, sort of eight or ten songs for that night and that's how it started. And then off the back of that, uh, someone rang me and I, they, they wanted me to go on the footy show on Channel 9, so I went on there. And, and anyhow, so now I've got a, a cover band, Mike Whitney and myself, uh, we're part of what's called the Aussie Icons now, and we, we do gigs around around town, and which is fantastic. But but that's how it started. Yeah. And this it's this just this incredible uh, resource that we have that you don't get taught this stuff in school because guess what? A lot of the rules of the game of life, we don't actually get taught through our education system because that's about hardcore curriculum, about – it's about stuff that gets us through to university and, and the, supposedly the fundamentals of what uh, you uh, makes you successful in life. But there's a lot of stuff that we don't quite grasp. So you touched upon it then. So goals are really important. Another great tool is visualisation. I used to use it a lot. 
off the back of your advice to start visualising, goal setting. Oh, so when you wrote down the, the stuff on your own. It was under Wayne Pierce. Yeah, yeah that right. was Wayne Pierce. So. Yeah, just a, that backstory, I know I've just dived off, is the fact you wrote down, was it Man of the Match? And Man of the Match, free tries. And, and you yeah, wrote on your arm. Wrote and you on my arm and, yeah. and obviously Junior was pivotal in obviously learning how to visualise properly and, and then, um, you know, the, the self-talk is a big one and, and Wayne can probably expand on this, but, you know, you've got your goals. We've obviously found our purpose. Um and it's being aware, I suppose, Wayne, of what thoughts we're and what words we're speaking to ourselves. How important is that for people to obviously train that conscious brain to be more positive? Absolutely, yeah. The, the self-talk. We're, we're, we're constantly chattering to ourselves, and, and that's not bad. That, that's good if the talk is positive and, and it's encouraging and affirmative. Uh, the challenge is when it's negative and we're doubting ourselves. And even... Um, me, I actually am really conscious of this space and in this space, but every morning when I get up, I the first thing I do when I get out of bed, I've got a little uh, spot I go and sit at in my lounge room and I meditate. And what? And why do I meditate? And I resisted meditation for decades, yeah? Uh, it's only been about the last mm, 10, 12 years that I really dived deep into it. Um, and for me, it is just profound in terms of the way that I'll, it it allows you to identify the way that I do it. It allows me to identify um, any, I call them mind viruses. Some people <laughs> call them ants, automatic negative thoughts. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just identify those and just observe them, let them go. And I actually expel them out with, with a breath. Yeah. And for me, that doing that daily is, which is part of the process, uh, practicing gratitude and a whole lot of other things. I, I, I mean, a few other things I should say. I go through, through that period. It takes about twenty minutes, and for me, it just calibrates me for the day. Uh, and I also, in that process, I set intentions for the day as well. So it's, um, it, but once again, it's that works for me. It doesn't necessarily work for everybody, but but sh- we should all seek to have some sort of mechanism that where which we, we just don't leave those thoughts to, uh, to their own devices. We actually identify. Which ones are productive? Leave them there. But the the ones that are the, the are the ants or the mind viruses, the ones that we really need to to deal with and and look to just expel them from the body and and let them go. And it's easier said than done, but there are processes and ways we can get around that. And motivation. A lot of people say they lack motivation. What's your response to that? Well, motivations. We, I, for me, it, it comes back to purpose. You know, it, there's it, it's very closely linked to purpose. You know, and if you are living a purposeful life, then um, every day when you get up is 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 a day that uh, is full of um, excitement for me and I, and for most people in that space that it's wow what what's it going to be like today? For, I, I'm sure you guys are the same. It's it's there's not enough time in every day in each day to get done what I'd love to get done. You know, I have got books I want to write. I have got um, videos I want to want to record. I have got all this stuff I want to do, but um, it's just going to take time. But we, we all have that capacity. It's all about the the way that you view yourself, you're capitalising opportunities. It, it's really about the cause and effect principles. Do you understand that? And I was, and I, as I'm really fortunate that I've always been strategic in life. You know, so far too many people pursue this instant gratification path um, because that's that drives good feelings in the short term, but the longer term. Uh, outcomes are, are compromised because of that. And that's what, what are all your listeners, uh, uh, what are we as human beings, we all, we all are sh- driven by feelings, but are, do we have a capacity to, to, to look beyond those feelings to what's going to be the consequence um, longer term? And, and that's 
why I suppose I was able to uh, to, to move into the space of of uh, being a success in what I did because I, I was prepared not to do what others were doing. Like when when I came into to uh, first grade rugby league in in the late seventies seventy nine. Um, I came into the grade at 79, there, there was a real alcohol culture there, like like as in after training, a couple of nights a week, go down the pub and, and have a drink and um, you'd be expected to do that. But I was – and and I, I had this vow never to drink because I, I saw it as being something that uh, was going to hold me back and I don't have a problem with, with uh, people having a few drinks. But I didn't know I'd be able to stop at that because my dad was an alcoholic and – I saw the consequences of that, so I decided not to drink, and that meant I sacrificed some short-term gain, which is the joy of and the feelings of being feeling a bit high because I've got a drunk, versus the benefits long-term. Amazing, isn't it? That's a, a huge tip for somebody out there that wants to make a better life: is if they can resist the short-term pleasure, that dopamine response of eating that chocolate biscuit or you know, laying in bed rather than getting up and going for a run, and looking at the long-term goal. It's really hard to do, isn't it? But conversely, also substituting that with the short-term wins to that long-term goal to maintain yeah, that exactly dopamine right. as well, because you completely get rid of it. You end up just going back to the bickies. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's it's, it's about uh, making sure you acknowledge where the gains are. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm parking this on hold. There's the purpose. There's a purpose behind that. But then, what are the short-term term um, markers that I can tick? to feel this sense of growth and progress. But getting back to the not drinking alcohol thing, this this talks to an important point that, I, that I've experienced and I think helps a lot of other people. That sense of, not, of saying no to alcohol for me when I was pressured by others and, and I, was, I was able to stand my ground and, and um, not drink, that gave me this sense of empowerment and control over myself. So... That sense of empowerment, yes, I am in control of my own destiny. I don't have to do and be liked by everyone around me because everybody else is drinking and that then converted into being respected um, was a really powerful anchor for me mm. in terms of my own inner strength and, you know, I encourage people to to find their own sense of empowerment around that, you know, whether it's it's, it's saying no to, to the biscuit when other people are having a biscuit um, or whatever it is, and then acknowledging what you actually did because a lot of people might do that and then not acknowledge the importance of that. Mind health is so important and that's what you're talking about today. You know, It's, it's, it's really important that, that people will look at physical fitness and physical health as the be-all and end-all, um, but if you don't get your mind right, then it's, it's really difficult to sort of stay in that, that peak performance space. And now you work with big corporates. You want to tell us about what you're actually doing now? Yes. Yeah, so f- f- when I finished coaching 20, uh, nearly 20 years, 19 years ago, um, I went into this mid- midlife crisis space. I didn't know what I was going to do, right? But I knew I couldn't co- coach. In fact, the, 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 the reason I quit was really, really, it's really interesting. It's a good story. So what happened was I, 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 I coached Balmain Tigers for six years and then uh, the Balmain and, jo- and Western Suburbs joined to form the West Tigers. This is as, as a consequence of the Super League War. So I was signed to, to coach the West Tigers for three years, but I walked away at the end of that first year. And the reason I did that it was this incredibly draining experience because uh, you had to sack half the players, half the coaches, bring two clubs into one, work with two boards that really didn't want to be one. 
um, and there was a lot of tension there at the time. And um, I I was working really, really long hours, really uh, quite draining experience, but I just wanted to get this done. And then what happened was in about July of that year, so it was about three quarters of the way through the season, um, my youngest daughter, I, was, I left home as I was leaving home at quarter past six in the morning, heading a 45-minute journey to work, getting home at, at eight o'clock at night, really long days, and I wasn't seeing my family. And my youngest daughter rang me uh, in the car because she had a zone running carnival on this day and I couldn't get to her school running carnival. And I said to her, if, when, she, when I couldn't get to a school carnival, if you make the, the zone carnival, I'll come to that for sure. So something came up on this particular day. There were, we had a big game coming up and I had to have these meetings with these players. Um, there were some, some issues that I had to deal with also with, with the staff. So I had to, once again, get in early this particular day. I wasn't planning to go. I was going to, planning to go to the zone carnival. This issue came up. I'm in the car driving to work and my phone rings and this is like 6.30 in the morning and it's my youngest daughter on the phone. She's crying on the phone because I'm not going to her zone carnival and I, I couldn't settle her down. And I'm driving along Monovale Road at, at North Ride there and I've had to pull into a garage because my head's spinning and I, I couldn't settle her down. In the end, I got off the phone from her and I still couldn't get out of the meetings that I had. So I didn't go to her zone carnival, but I made a promise to myself in the car that that's it, I'm quitting at the end of the season. So I um, decided to quit coaching at the end of the season. I didn't tell anybody other than my wife and there was, there was still another, I think, five or six games to, to go, something like that. And um, anyhow, I, I, at the end of the season, I, I sort of went and saw the chairman and he couldn't believe it, but that was why. And for me, it was, it was my, my true, and we've all got this true North Compass, you know, I think Brian Tracy talks about true North Compass and that's this, when we're in alignment with our true North, Life just flows, yeah, and everything's and you deep you have this deep sense of purpose. Well, I certainly got out of that alignment, and I didn't realise it. And this phone call from my daughter, who was eight years of age at the time, is something that changed my life for the better because I made the decision to quit coaching. I didn't know what I was going to do. I I had the opportunity to do some part time, which I did part time commentary work, but I didn't want to do that full time. So for me, what did I want to do? And and I evolved over the next. 12 months evolved these ideas around uh, working with business clients, taking the skills that I'd acquired as a sports player and sports coach to business, particularly in the space of, of peak performance as an individual, but also team performance, because team performance is the biggest gap, biggest gap in business. Corn Ferry did, did some research a few years ago and uh, identified leadership competency gaps, and the biggest leadership competency gaps gap in Australian business was building effective teams, closely followed by coaching skills. So that's the sort of space that I, uh, I work with with business clients in. There's so much under underperformance in that business sector that uh, keeps me pretty busy and I love what I do. I think that story sums up everything you said is that you realise that wasn't your purpose anymore. That's okay if it shifts. Your mindset was right that you could go, actually, I've got to make a change. I don't know what that is. But let's set some new goals to start doing that. It won't straight away. By the end of the year, I need to quit. So you can do that, work towards it. And your values were there. Do you want to spend more time with your family? And be, like you said, in control with what you can control. And it was probably uncomfortable doing it. And so everything that you talk about today in practice happened to you in that moment. It did. It, and, and, and I'm in forever indebted to my youngest daughter, who, who by the way, can't even remember the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Always away, She's 28 it? now. She can't remember the conversation. Well, if you want some coaching for more, go to waynepierce.com.au. I can tell you what, I'd love you. If I had a small business or a big business or any business, you'd be coming there. So it's a pleasure to have you with us on this episode. Thanks, guys. Great Thanks, to be here. Thank you. 
Remember, if there's someone that you want us to hack into for you on your behalf, let us know who it is and what questions you want us to ask them by emailing us via healthhacker at themanshake.com.au or jump onto Adam's Manshake socials on the Podcast One Australia socials. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. To listen to more episodes, search Health Hacker Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.